To our shame, Australia has been a global leader when it comes to the treatment of refugees. For decades, there has been a political consensus that people seeking asylum should be locked up and treated like criminals. Many of us don't know the stories of the people affected by these laws. So many people in detention are not only brave individuals, but they are change makers. They are refugees because they struggled for change in their home country. Today's Changemaker Chat is with Mostafa Azimidabar. Mostafa, who likes to be called Moz, is a Kurdish refugee. He was born in a war zone and struggled to live as a Kurd inside the country of Iran. Then, for eight years, he was held in Australian detention centres on Christmas Island, Manus Island, and in a hotel in Melbourne. Today he shares how he learnt to be a changemaker how he has a distinctive understanding of power and struggle forged in the resistance of the Kurdish people and sharpened by his time in detention. Moz is a leader amongst the refugee community. Come and hear what he had to endure at the hands of the Australian government. We all have so much to learn from him. Let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats. Conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers, now in Series 6, also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Changemakers also runs an organising school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. You can find us on Twitter at Changemakers99 or on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast. So, Moz, I want to welcome you to Changemakers. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. It is truly not just my pleasure, but but my honour to have you on our show today. Can't wait for our listeners to hear more about your story and your struggle and and the lessons that you've drawn from them. Let's just start, if you don't mind, give the, our listeners a bit of context. How do you make change in the world? You know, we call ourselves the change maker. In what way are you a change maker? It's a part of me to think and talk about this issue a lot every day with everyone that I know, especially my friends. I have an idea and I uh, like this idea become true. I think creating awareness is a responsibility for everyone uh, that uh, is living in this society. There are problems I see and I think people in Australia are really nice. I don't believe that People are racist. I think it comes from wrong politicians that drive fear to the nation and blaming uh, minorities in the society that creates uh, lots of problems. The truth is that uh, we are living together uh, like a family and we need to take care of this beautiful family. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've had a need to... To, to fight and to struggle for change, not just here in Australia, although the Australian government has done you such a disservice across so much of your life. 
that's not the only place where you've had to struggle. You 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 actually began that struggle back in Kurdistan, in so, you know, so-called Iran, decades and decades ago. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your your story as a refugee? We'll then get to the story about what happened in Australia, drawing out the lessons that you've learned. Uh, I am a Kurdish refugee uh, who fled from danger and came to Australia for help. I arrived in Australia in 2013. It was 25th of July and I was locked up in detention for eight years. They took me to Manus Island after a few weeks and uh, for six and a half years I had very difficult times in Papua New Guinea. And after that the I got very sick, I got asthma, I got PTSD, huge mental problems. And I was transferred to Australia for medical treatment under Medivac legislation. And it was 11th of November 2019. Immediately they took me to a hotel and locked me there for 15 months. It's a long journey. What I'm interested for you to explain to our listeners is... Throughout all of this, you weren't just uh, a victim of this system, whether it was as a Kurdish refugee, as a, as a, pa- a man in Kurdistan or as a, a, a man in detention. You were a change maker in all of those circumstances. And what I'd like you to share with us is, is why. Tell us a little bit about the energy behind you, the story, the, the reasons why you chose to, to struggle and resist and f- to fight for something better, even under such difficult circumstances? Uh, It's a very good question. Uh, Let me explain uh, something from my background. So when I was born, my city was bombed for eight years and the beginning of my life was chaotic. When I went to a school, I was not allowed to study my language. Everything was sad. My life was very, very sad and When I was in detention, I learned from my people who fought against terrorism. I am Kurdish and uh, I learned resistance from my people. And I decided not to give up. I was locked up in a horrific situation, but I believe in connection and love. I believe in communication because communication brings hope and uh, unity. So I started uh, talking uh, with people in Australia when I was in detention and every day uh, I managed to have more friends and they listened to me, they listened to my stories and I told every one of them that I am not criminal. I didn't do anything wrong. I came to Australia for help. I am in a very difficult situation now. Um, I want to be free. There are many other refugees are here who are suffering every day. Uh, We need help. We need to, uh, we need our voice to be heard. So they uh, replied my messages. They talked to me. So I had a feeling of hope I had. They were behind my strength. I never felt 
For eight years in detention, I never felt I was alone. Every time, there were wonderful people that I uh, could talk uh, with, and I had a feeling of love and strength every, all the time. And I said that this is, uh, this is uh, respect. If I am positive, it's a respect to uh, this uh, society. Because if I gave up, um, I, it was not a good outcome. I decided to be strong and continue and create awareness with art, music, and activism. It's so powerful how you were able to, to not give up in the, under such extraordinary circumstances in detention. I wonder, you, you describe your childhood as, as sad and it sounds so difficult and, and hard for many in Australia to necessarily relate to being in a constant war zone, in constant fear of your life. I'm also, but I'm wondering in, in your time in Kurdistan, were there people, were there moments where you learnt some of these strengths that you, like I know you said you you learnt from people who were also in detention with you, but were there memories or experiences from back in Kurdistan that you that you think gave you strength when you were in detention? Absolutely. Uh, I always listen to the commanders, the uh, people who really were in the fight against terrorism. They uh, were in front of bullets, and I listened to them every time. They could have wonderful life if they wanted, if they decided to go to Europe or America and starting have a great life, but they decided to protect the land. They decided to keep fighting for people in the world. And uh, the message from the commanders I still remember is that if we are responsible to take care of a group or the society, we have to sacrifice ourselves. It, it can be dangerous for us, but we save other people. And I learned it uh, when I was... Uh, in in the Mantra and the Park uh, Hotel prisons and also on Manus, that I am responsible. When I see something wrong, I should protect the people who cannot speak, who don't have a voice, why uh, this is happening. And to be silent is a problem. And I learned it that silence is a kind of uh, giving power to the people who are torturing us. And I think uh, to be quiet and being silent is really dangerous. That's extraordinary, right? So, I mean, there were a lot of people, tragically, way too many people, so many people on Manus Island. You stood up. Tell us about, I mean, there were some extraordinarily courageous struggles of you and others in Manus, like the, I'm thinking of the siege in 2017 where the government decided to, to stop all water and electricity and, and to, to basically turn you into prisoners to get you into a different location. Can you tell us what it was like to stand up while 
it must have felt so difficult to be able to, to act. Thank you for this question. It's a, it's a very uh, good question, actually, you ask me. What happened in the siege is a lesson for, the, for everyone in the world. There were different uh, nationalities, I mean refugees, with different nationalities. But during the siege, it took 24 days without water, food, power, electricity, no security, uh, in a remote area full of danger. But we decided not to give up and continue the peaceful protest we created. That moment, there was no nationality. No one said that I am Kurdish, I am Somalian, I am Pakistani, I am Syrian. We were like a family. There was no ego and logos. There was nothing can separate us or to make problem for the protest. And we were very peaceful without creating any problem. We were together and we continued. No ego, no logo. Wow, if only some other social movements could exercise the same discipline. That's, how do you think that that kind of solidarity, that kind of interconnection, you know, how did that come about? Well, I think uh, uh, the other side of suffering uh, was creating strength and understanding of understanding of the situation that I am an innocent person. I got my refugee status uh, before what they did to me. So what is why they are going to keep uh, us in detention? What is the reason they are hurting us? What is the reason they are shooting at us? What is the reason they, they beat all of us? We decided to be together and stop this torture. We don't want to be in this situation. We got our refugee status, and according to you, United Nations, anyone who is a refugee means that they are not dangerous for the society and they can be free. But we were not free, and we were under lots of pressure inside a very dangerous situation. So that moment, we had huge connection with people in Australia and they listened to us. No one said that hashtag me, hashtag this, hashtag this, or no one said that uh, we want this, we want that, we want money, we want this. Everyone together like a family and we said that we only want to be free and live in a safe country. This is what we need. Extraordinary. Imagine uh, without any water and food, we dug in the ground to, for eating water, for drinking water. We didn't have water. They even they removed the gutter. That we, they removed the gutter so that we don't access to uh, the rain. Wow. We it was. This is Australian. The Australian government. It, it happened. Yep, it happened to us. No food. Nothing. We were so skinny, and the last day of the siege, PNG police under the command of the Australian government, they attacked us. They beat all of us with iron bar and with stones. 
and um, one of the police attacked me. I really got hurt. They hit me with an iron bar. So I was, uh, I got hurt. And after a few days, I got stammer. I really like to talk about this story. I got stammer and one of the ad, uh, activists connected trauma counselor with me and she became my best friend. She became uh, a person who taught me the meaning of humanity. She, her name was uh, Christina Kuhn. She was uh, a professional mental health nurse and she started talking to me on phone. I couldn't talk with my family even uh, or my friends. It, it, I was so traumatized and she understood the situation completely and started talking like a lullaby that my name is Christina Kuhn. I am going to help you. I understand your situation. You were in a very sad situation. I'm going to help you. Don't worry. You will be okay. So for like six or seven hours a day, she talked to me on phone. And I relied, you know, my, I thought I, I was not alone. I was not alive that for a couple of months. So I got so traumatized. And she even checked, like when I was on Manus, she lived in Melbourne and talked to me that you, have you drunk a glass of water? What about food? She checked me all the time and I got better, better. And I, she removed the stammer from me. Oh. Yeah. So I uh, wrote a song for her um, and I played it for her many times. Um, sadly, she suffered uh, from secondary cancer and she passed away. It was uh, 2019 and it was the most saddest time in in whole my life. I played it. Uh, I played her uh, her song for her uh, one hour before she passed away, and uh, I learned it from uh, a dear friend that when someone is gonna pass away, it's better we give a um, peaceful transition to them. So I learned it from my good friend Emma O'Brien. She is a senior manager in Royal Hospital in Melbourne. So I played the song for her, for Christina, um, six, seven times, and she uh, slept with smile forever. That's really powerful stuff. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing to me that did you ever – like I'm thinking about you going through these experiences and you're still wanting to come to Australia given all of the all of the trauma that you experienced did you did that idea of coming here change or how did you what kept you clinging or desiring to be here rather than some other place given given the treatment that you received um well I didn't get uh, medical treatment when I was in detention it's very sad that I was transferred to Australia for medical help. I it was the one of the best day in my life when I when I was transferred to Australia and I thought that everything is going to be okay. But they put me in they locked me up in a hotel, the same place that Djokovic was locked up. And uh, no treatment. I had asthma 
I have asthma, I have PTSD. They put me in a room. In front of the room, there was a glass. Um, inside my room, there was a glass, not a window. I couldn't open the window because there was not a window. It was just a glass. And in front of the glass, there was a cement wall. And I no trees, no street, no one that I could wave. And uh, imagine officers, 10 times a day, they came to my room for different reasons. 10 times a day? 10 times a day, they came to my room for different reasons, like uh, head count, 6 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock, you have a sleep, 10 o'clock, for different reasons. Uh, the brun glass not broken, they, once they came to check the properties. And every time they were interrupting our peace and tranquility. But I never gave up because people outside the window were protesting for us. I really believe that these people are uh, under, these people understand the meaning of humanity. And I, I love them very much. Without them, I would be in detention forever. The reason that I got free was because I relied on good people in Australia. I didn't rely on, it doesn't make sense to me uh, if I rely on people who are torturing me. I never uh, wanted to be silent against this cruelty because I didn't do anything wrong. I was not a criminal. I am not a criminal. And my message to uh, people is love. I was uh, locked up in detention for 2,737 days by the Australian government. But my message to people in Australia is love. Because if because of the connection that I had with people, it was definitely love. Without love, I, I, would, I couldn't survive. I am a survivor. I have lots of experience of sadness in my life, like from the beginning of my life till I, I got free. Also, I, am, I don't have equal human rights in, uh, with, like uh, with other people in Australia. I am not allowed to study. I am not allowed to get a qualification. Uh, I, am, I didn't get a, um, accommodation. I don't get Centrelink. And uh, I want to tell you that uh, I want to tell people who are voting uh, to this government, I don't say that people in Australia are racist. I say during the apartheid, Nelson Mandela was allowed to study in jail. Most in Australia, 2022, is not allowed to study. And you've committed no crime. And no committing any crime, even criminals in jail Indeed, in Australia. Sh- how grateful are ordinary Australians that someone as extraordinary as you is here, but not given the, but you're not given the rights you need. And I, I like to tell this story so that uh, people hear the real story from, from someone who, uh, who, who were in this situation. Yeah. There's so many different directions that we could have a, di- a discussion about the sort of your reflections on how from all of this work that you've done as a refugee in detention and as someone who's had to resist and work with a, in, 
in persecution in Kurdistan as well. I'm, I'm wondering, you've talked a little bit about your friends in detention, your Kurdish friends in detention, teaching you about strategies for leadership and resistance and power. And they sound, they sound really important. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about your approach to how uh, to ideas of you've mentioned a few things, but a little bit more fully about your approach to to struggle, resistance, fortitude that come from from your experience all the way from Kurdistan through through the detention. Are there some lessons that we can learn from you on this? Thank you, Amanda. I have seen uh, some of uh, the refugees who were really uh, good at activism and talking about the situation like Beruz Bouchani, he, he was a hero. He is a hero. He did lots of good things uh, for human rights to show the reality of the situation. I am learning from uh, anyone who is trying to change the situation and show the reality. I learn from uh, good people always. We are always learning from each other. It's uh, human nature. We can uh, learn even from a bad person, from bad experience. Uh, I think it's better for me not to bury the stories that happened to me. It's better to express it and share it with people, with leaders, that if we see, for example, in refugee sectors, I see uh, some problems, and whenever I want to talk about it, they say it's better to be quiet before election. It makes the situation messy. So we can't be quiet, but I think silence is not working. Uh, it's I don't uh, think... We can change the society with silence. I have met uh, a few politicians who are working in Labour Party, and I still think that um, everyone in Labour Party should speak out about the situation uh, of these innocent human beings because uh, defending human rights uh, is a, a responsibility for everyone and people uh, are listening to politicians. If they are silent, the ignorance, the feedback is ignorance from the society, which is wrong. Mm. I think that that's a really powerful message. What do you think though, like the Labour Party politicians in the main aren't doing that. What do you think that the refugee movement or part different parts of the refugee movement need to do to be able to get greater attention, to get more influence? Like what, what's missing, do you think, from, from the space that could, that could improve the situation? It's, it's very sad when I see some problem and I feel they don't listen to me. For example, I, had, uh, I was a guest lecturer in University of Melbourne when I got free uh, after uh, a couple of months. And I talk with um, human rights students, journalists and law students. Most of them were not uh, aware of the situation, the building. 
and it was uh, less than one kilometer away from from the building. And I told all of them, it's better you close the book and study something else. But in a f- not in a in a bad way. They they were very lovely people, and they listened to me for like one hour. I talked to them that I was in that building, and still there are people who are suffering there. Uh, what is the difference? Why they are not still free? Why they are? Why the government is uh, using them as political political game? They are uh, using them for election, and uh, they listened to me, and uh, they came to the protest. This is this is the movement we we need to talk about. Why uh, the couple of organizations? I know that. There are mistakes in the uh, a couple of organizations. Instead of being behind refugee voices, they ask people, "Please donate." I think they are uh, they are uh, a part of this problem. That I don't want money. I don't want anyone cook for me. I don't want charity. I don't want my photo to be used for money. I want to get my freedom. I want. Um, people listen to me, not my voice taken f- uh, for for donation. This is a huge problem, and I will never be silent after this election. And I talk to uh, all of them. They are the uh, some of the some of people who are working in refugee sector are good at cr- getting credit uh, with much less effort they are very because they are connected with media but i see that how many uh, wonderful people people are fighting for freedom of these uh, innocent refugees uh, without asking or without having a logo or egos that's what i was thinking we could take a lesson from manis less less ego less yeah. logo more advocacy, less yeah. charity. It's almost like some of what you had to develop and fight for and learn in detention is actually is a great gift for those who are working in Australia in support because the space isn't working. Exactly. It's not working. It's not, the refugee space has not been working for 20 years, right? It's had some greater successes in other, at other times, but we need a stronger strategy. And, yeah, I think we need to listen to you and others like you to be able to garner that strategy for sure. I want to ask you one, um, just one other question about, I guess, just how you were able to get through. I know because you talk about the the support that you had from the the mental health nurse, for instance, but I also know, you know, which is sort of aid really, like to be able to to be lifted up and supported, to be be supported where you're at in, in terms of experiencing trauma. But I also know that you used have used music and art. There's been lots of other parts of your political project that aren't just about struggle and fighting, right? It's also about sustenance and I guess, and love of beauty and and love of the world. Like I think of that with the the mutual aid support that you had from the mental health nurse and also from your art and music projects. How important is it to have those moments of creativity, to have those moments of creative joy while you're involved in this political project, especially one that has been so painful and so long? I have learned to be friends uh, with art and music 
Because whenever I paint, I don't feel uh, any anxiety. I just focus on... I am in, in a situation beyond politics and economy. economy. It's just about uh, putting the feeling on a canvas. And it helps me control my anger and uh, it helps me to understand myself. Also, uh, when I was in detention, because I didn't want to see uh, noise of officers, radios, noise of uh, generators who were, uh, who were torturing us, I decided to be uh, friends with uh, playing guitar, painting, and talking with the refugees uh, and listening to their stories because I saw lots of uh, s- uh, similarities in their stories. They, everyone had different stories. It's like the society. Inside the society, everyone has a story. And uh, if we listen to the stories, uh, I think uh, we need a connection that we need some or um, something in between to connect these stories together. For example, in Aboriginal uh, people, climate change activists, refugees, uh, activists, I don't see the connection. I see that everyone is disconnected. It's like parallel play, <laughs> these important movements, but not yeah. quite woven together yet. We are in the same uh, situation. We are uh, fighting against this cruelty. Why we cannot be together? Let's be together and um, put egos and logos aside. Yeah. I feel like you're giving a message to everyone who's listening today about what needs to happen going forward, this power of, of interconnection. Do you have a message or a final thought to leave the audience with? I think from my perspective, uh, many people don't trust politicians in Australia. I mean the two major parties. So there is a huge lack of um, trust between people and most of politicians. So in my opinion, it's better we create a situation like a big campaign and we have a leader for the campaign, just one campaign, not 10 campaigns or 20 campaigns. Because if there are 10 campaigns and the campaigns become against each other, it doesn't work. If we have someone who... Uh, has the feeling of or uh, underst- understand about human rights, climate change, about every problems in the society, and we nominate this person as a leader. Uh, it's like creating a government, but it's against the government. It's like uh, we push the government that when they are doing something wrong, we don't want to be silent. If they if they are burning a tree, if they are cutting a tree. All of us should like attack with our brain, not with anger. That we should stop it. Why they are cutting the trees? Why they are? Why this bushfire is happening? In the, this land is so beautiful, and everyone is uh, crying because of this. The bushfire happened. I was in detention. I was crying. I I saw the smoke for some time. It was so sad. And I said that why am I am in a situation that I cannot do something, and they are and people. Why should people uh, 
pay tax for creating these torture centers. And the, the message is that people in Australia don't want any innocent human being to be locked up. Yeah. And we need to get together to make it happen. Yeah. I like it, Moz. <laughs> we need to get you a visa and we need yeah. to get you a bigger, a bigger space to speak from. Thank you so much for coming into Changemakers. We hope to see you again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes. Changemakers is produced by Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Booker. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Changemakers99. And check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking. All the details on our website.